Amen. He holds us fast, does he not? Amen. Thank you for leading us in song, and thank you, Dr. Dockery, for this invitation to come and preach, be a part of this series in Philippians. And, uh, and also, thanks to you, uh, Swibbits and TBC family, for all your prayers and words of encouragement in this season of grief for our family. Uh, no doubt it has been soul-crushing for us. Our hearts are deeply broken, but we are not those who grieve without hope, but we hope in the promises of Christ. And as the Apostle Paul even says in Philippians chapter one, such opposition to the gospel is a clear sign of the world's destruction and our salvation, which is from God. And so until that day on which Christ returns, we know that he holds us fast, but because he holds us, we run the race, right? We run the race that is set before us, the race of the Christian life, as we await by faith the prize of glory at the finish line. And this is what our text is about today. It's about running the race of the Christian life. And I don't know about you, have you ever run a race uh, and I'm not talking about merely uh, maybe a challenge in the schoolyard, I'll race you to the fence and back or to the tree and back, but I'm talking about a full-fledged race. You, you line up, uh, uh, there, there's a, a shot that's fired, you know you can go, and, and you gotta cross the finish line. I've only run in one of those races. I was actually a soccer player growing up, and, uh, but soccer players run. We run for 90 minutes straight without a break. And it's the end of my soccer career as a, as a senior in high school. And so the track coach approached me and says, Chase, we, we've got a race and I need somebody to fill the slot. Can you run for us? And I said, absolutely. I can run for you. I've been running my whole life. I can run another race. And so uh, he enlisted me to run the 800 meter, which is a, a half a mile Race, And I remember it was the, the day of the race. I line up. My heart is pumping because there's nerves uh, uh, flowing throughout. But when I heard that gun shot, I go off. And immediately I, I begin to set my pace and uh, I'm in the middle of the pack and I begin sizing everybody up and, and I'm feeling pretty good. I, uh, I, I'm not hurting, my conditioning is, is proving true, and I'm, I'm running, and as we're coming around that last leg, I see the finish line, I put it in another gear, leave everybody in the dust. Finish the race. Come over to my coach, who I'm, I'm expecting to say, well done, this is why we had you come, and he says, great job, Chase, for now, you're in first place. What, for now, isn't the race over? How am I, for now, in first place, I'm pretty sure I beat everybody. Well, here in just a minute, the second heat is about to go. And then I began to watch, and he, he said, yeah, as long as you have the fastest time, you, you win the race. I don't really remember much of the details other than the fact that I didn't win the race. <laughs> uh, I, I think I came in second. And I was a little bit frustrated because uh, I had, in my mind, the goal was beat all these people on the line with me. That was the goal, goal accomplished. But the goal actually was to have the fastest time between the heats, which would have changed, in my mind, how I would have run the race. And I looked at the guy who beat me from afar and I said, I think I could have taken that guy. Uh, I just was running 
with the wrong goal in mind. Well, fortunately for us, the Christian race doesn't have two heats. Christian race doesn't have a catch in the end. In fact, in the Christian race, all who run the race and who finish it receive the prize. And what is this prize? Paul calls it here in our text, uh, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in fact, he's already talked about this prize as Dr. Skog preached for us Tuesday. This is the prize. This is his aim. This is his goal in life. This is his pursuit and in, in one ambition in life. He says it in verse eight, that he may know Christ. He again says it, that I may gain him. Verse 10, that I might become like him, that I may share in his sufferings, that I may share in the power of his resurrection. Later, verse 21, he says, that my lowly body may be transformed to be like his glorious body. It's glorification. All these things are wrapping up. Yes, Paul already knows Christ. Yes, he is already becoming like him and sharing in his sufferings, but he wants to know him to the fullest extent. He wants his faith to become sight. This is what he strives for. He runs the race because he's striving for Christ. This is why the writer of the Hebrews exhorts us with a, a very similar theme and analogy. He says, let us run the race with endurance, the race that's set before us. And how do we run that race? Looking to Jesus. We look to Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, who, who for the joy set before him, the glory to be restored, the glory of what the cross would accomplish, the, the, the exaltation and the glorification, the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he reigns forever and ever. See, Jesus is both the example for how we run this race, but he's also the prize. He's the example, but he's also the prize. He's the goal because when we finish our course, he promises. He promises at the end of all things, when he completes all things in Christ, when he returns, death will be swallowed up in victory. My friends, death will no longer sting because he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We'll experience our eternal life that we have now in its fullest when we come to know him and see him face to face. And so this morning, what I want us to do as we look at Philippians 12, or excuse me, 3, 12 through 16, is I want us to adopt Paul's mindset. In fact, that's what he wants us to do. He tells us in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. There's, there's a way we are to approach the Christian life. And so I want us to, to think the way that Paul thinks and impresses upon the lives of the Philippians and by extension to us. I want us to adopt this perspective on the Christian life so that we too will grow in maturity all the more as we strive with all his might, which powerfully works within us to attain the heavenly prize of becoming like him in glory. But if we're going to run this race, and more importantly, if we're gonna finish the race, if we're gonna have endurance to finish and win the prize, 
we must adopt a fourfold mindset which Paul details for us here. And the first element of this mindset is that we must have a humble evaluation. A humble evaluation of ourselves, a humble evaluation of where we are in the race. Here in verse 12, Paul explains that he's not already achieved this goal. He's already uh, talked about how he has forsaken his prior life. In fact, he considers all things to be rubbish. He, he, he doesn't consider anything to compare to the surpassing joy and worth of, of knowing Christ. And he begins to expound upon those great gains that we now have in Jesus. But he wants to clarify, not I haven't already obtained these things in their fullness. I haven't already become perfect or complete. And so in light of that reality, he says, I press on to make it my own. I, I press on that I might gain Christ, lay hold of him, attain the resurrection, he says. It's likely here that Paul is countering some idea among the Philippians uh, or maybe a threat to the gospel, potential threat, that, that somehow in this life we can attain completeness. We can, we can obtain all these things. We can maybe be perfect. Some either among the Judaizers who are adding to the gospel, saying you will be complete if you uh, can now uh, adopt circumcision and, and continue to follow the law now uh, might have been the impetus behind this. Or, or maybe there had been other things and misunderstandings of the gospel. We've seen this even throughout church history. There's been those and traditions who've, who've uh, uh, believed in, in some way that perfection was possible uh, this side of glory. Well, I doubt many of us, or if any of us, would be tempted in that way. Nevertheless, we too can be susceptible to inflated views of our own spiritual progress. Inflated views that are, that are distorted from reality about where we are in our own sanctification and spiritual maturity. And, and that can be a dangerous place to be have a wrong view of where you are. Because see, if you, are, if you ever become satisfied, content with your progress, you'll stop running, won't you? There's nothing to run for. If you're not, and, and if you're not running the race, what are you doing? Well, in this race, it's not, you don't stand still. It's more like you're standing in the current of the ocean. And if you've ever been in the ocean, uh, you, you realize that before you know it, you've drifted, haven't you? And to, to hold your ground, you, you can't be neutral. You always have to be pressing back to where you want to go. Well, how does such spiritual pride manifest itself? Well, it can take many forms of self-righteousness, if we will, whereby we begin to compare ourselves with one another. We be, begin to believe, well, I, I must be pretty spiritual. Uh, I do this and they don't do that. Or they do that and I don't do that. It can also manifest itself in being puffed up with knowledge, something that probably all of us can be tempted to in a context like this of great theological training and education where we want to do it to the highest level. There can be an arrogance that comes when we go home over the summer to tell our church everything that they don't know, or our family, everything that they have told us that was wrong. 
can be those temptations, and we can become overly critical of people, other traditions, and unnecessarily and too harshly divide, maybe over secondary or tertiary matters. We can also be expressing overconfidence in our own accomplishments. Maybe the Lord has blessed us and, and, and given us great favor, and then we begin to think that that is the end, and that somehow maybe we have arrived. Been a Christian for over 20 years, seen lots of friends, gifted friends, sometimes pastors, some have been professors, friends or members in the church, friends that I, I was in the trenches with in my Hebrew and Greek classes, or friends that I was co-laborers with in the gospel, who seemed to achieve great ministry, only to flame out and quit the race. Some were great preachers, some were excellent teachers, some were promising scholars, some led their churches to do amazing things. Others wrote phenomenal books for the church only to shipwreck their faith, to leave their wife for another woman, to embrace the world's values, in some cases, abandon the gospel altogether. I don't believe this anymore. They are, as Paul later say of his co-laborer Demas, in love with this present world, he has forsaken me. How does this happen? How does this happen? And most importantly for us today, how do I make sure that I, this didn't happen to me, that I don't shipwreck my faith, I don't flame out, that I don't quit the race? Well, each experience is no doubt different. But it begins with pride here. It's an overinflated view of oneself. And, and that can happen through a superficial view of God's own righteousness and his own character. Or two, a, 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 an unorthodox view of our sin. And we, we fail to take our sin seriously enough to, to, to understand the full extent of its effects on our heart, mind, and soul. But perhaps the greatest reason the greatest threat to us is a failure to spend much time beholding the glory of Christ. Instead of having our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, we turn to the side, we, we turn inward, we begin to have our own goals, our own ambitions. That seems to be a threat that Paul wants to warn them about because there are some preachers, he say, who preach the gospel out of selfish ambition. And when we do this, when we have other goals, what does it do? It takes our eyes off the goal. It obscures our vision of the Savior's beauty, of his gentleness, of his patience, of his kindness, of his might, and of his love. We begin doing ministry, but not for Christ. We begin living life, but not for Christ. I'm reminded of Jesus talking to the disciples who were marveling. Jesus, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. Isn't this amazing? And he says, I tell you this. Do not marvel that the demons are subject to you, but marvel that your names are written in heaven. That's where our joy ultimately lies. My friends, no one who regularly shares in the sweet fellowship of the Savior in his word walks away thinking much of him or herself. 
Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, whenever we get near to God and really enter into fellowship with him, the sensations we feel are the very reverse of self-congratulation. We never see the beauty of Christ without at the same time perceiving our own deformity. So my friends, let's run. Let's run this race looking to Jesus looking to the author and perfecter of our faith. And for if we slip into the mindset that somehow I have all that Jesus has to offer, I've attained all there is to do, we'll stop running. And if we stop running, we'll begin to drift. And so for this reason, we must first have a humble evaluation of ourselves, but also we need the proper motivation. I don't know about you, I don't like to run anymore. And, and, and every time I try, I don't have the motivation to do it again, right? Uh, you probably, some of you can identify with that. Well, in the same way, we need the proper motivation if we're gonna finish the race. Because in this race, we don't know when the finish line comes, right? And it's hard when you're like, how much longer do I have to go? So this leads us to our second mindset that Paul presses upon us. We need to cultivate a confident motivation. And the motivation to run the race is not gonna come from looking inward. It's not gonna come from self-contemplation, but it's gonna come from looking upward, upward to Christ our Savior. Don't miss the, the rationale that Paul has here in verse 12 for why he presses on, why he, he, he strives to lay hold of the prize of Christ. Look at what he says. He says, because Christ has made me his own. I can lay hold of Christ because he's first laid hold of me. We love him because he first loved us. Every exhortation that we have seen in the book of Philippians has been grounded in this reality that God has secured our salvation from Christ from beginning to end. Do you remember how he began the letter? As he's exhorting, I'm confident of this. That he who began a good work in you is gonna complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Confident. So I pray that you may be found pure and blameless on that day. Again, we saw in chapter two, verses 12 through 13, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why and how? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Christ left us, but he has not abandoned us. He has sent his spirit who dwells in us, who keeps us and preserves us. As we just sang, he will hold me fast. And so not only has he run the race and blazed the trail for us, but he also holds us fast, enables us to run and to endure, and he keeps us. My friends, through Christ's work on the cross, he has secured your justification, that is your right standing in Christ. He has secured your sanctification, that is your blameless nature in Christ. And he has secured your glorification, your transformation into the likeness of Christ. Therefore, on that basis, we run the race to win the prize that is already ours. Our names are already engraved on the trophy. So we run by faith because he ran before us. And he ran before us, and how did he run? He blazed the trail of glory through the valley of the shadow of death. 
He went right through the heart of death and he's on the other side so that I do not have to fear evil as I too go through that valley. He stands at the finish line with open arms waiting to receive all those whom he has purchased. Therefore, we can have confidence. We can have confidence in every hurdle, my friends, every hill on this race, every valley and every obstacle along the path is perfectly used by our Lord and Savior to shape us and to purify us so that we will be blameless on the day of Christ. We look to Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith, ensuring that the work of salvation reaches its completion in us. And so for this reason, I can run with confidence. So we have a humble evaluation, a confident motivation, but we must have a singular aspiration. And that's what he gets to in verses 13 through 14. Paul again acknowledges that he's not fully made Christ his own. That is to be fully made like him in glory. But he does make it his singular aim. One thing I do right there in the heart of verse 13. One thing I do, I, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that word press on is the same word that can be translated persecute. He uses it in that way in verse six. As to zeal, I was formerly a persecutor of a church, a pursuer of the church, a pursuer to harm the church. But now he has new goal. He pursues Christ not as a persecutor, but as a lover. This is the one thing that consumes him. This is his new zeal for the Lord, that he may obtain this goal, verse 14, of the promised prize to all those who are called in Christ. So how do we run the race? Well, he, he, he helps us here. First of all, it entails forgetting what lies behind. Now, this isn't some sense of spiritual amnesia by which we just, everything's gone. I forget everything. No, that's not what he's saying. But it's not allowing prior successes or even prior failures in this life to distract us from the overall goal. Often our hearts, they can be distracted, right? They can be enticed by many things or the burdens that we bear. And I'm sure for some of you today, you are coming here uh, with things that you have done or maybe even things who, that have been done to you. That even at the, at the thought of them, it creates guilt in you and shame. But Paul says, we look to Jesus, the one who took our guilt, the one who bore our shame, remembering that he has paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future, so that we may no longer be defined by them, enslaved by them, any longer. The shackles have been broken so that we can run. At the same time, in this race, we cannot stop to congratulate ourselves. We don't take victory laps in the middle of the race on past achievements and successes. In fact, it's not as important how you start the race, but how you what? Finish it, right? Paul doesn't parade his ministry accomplishments in his letters. He doesn't tell you how many churches he planted, how many people he did, what did this, how many he trained out. This is all he did. No, he never does that. If he is gonna boast, he boasts in his weakness. And the Lord made sure of it, gave him a thorn in the flesh. No, whatever things you think you could boast of, I'm gonna make sure you don't. 
No, he knows that the fruits of his life and his ministry, 1 Corinthians 4, won't fully be known until the day in which the value of everyone's work is tested and is manifested at the judgment seat of Christ. So Spurgeon is helpful here again. He says, self-satisfaction rings the death knell of progress. If we think we've done something, man, I ran that lap really good. Well, great, finish. He says, self-satisfaction rings the death knell of progress and there must be a deep-seated discontent with present attainments or there will never be a striving after the things which are yet to be beheld. Friends and colleagues, there's no time to mail it in. No time to put it in neutral. But because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us, we're able to strive with all his might toward the ultimate goal to which he has called us to in Christ. When God calls us in Christ, opens up our eyes, opens up our hearts, gives us ears to hear uh, and eyes to see, hearts to receive the gospel and regenerates us by faith. That call to him, that salvation comes with a promise I've brought you to Christ and I'll complete you in Christ. And so that's what he says in verse 24 or 21, that our lowly bodies will be transformed into his glorious body. Don't lose sight of that goal, that single aspiration. Then finally, we must have a faithful dedication. We wanna have a humble evaluation, a confident motivation, a singular aspiration, and a faithful dedication. Verses 15 through 16. Paul concludes by addressing our mindset. He says, let us who are mature think this way. Maybe you haven't thought about your Christian life like this. Maybe you just thought, hey, I'm saved and I'm just you know, living for myself until Jesus comes back. But no, there's a purpose to our life. And, and the Lord, he says, is gonna shape you and, and help you think better about these things as you continue down the road. He wants us to have this mindset of all the things that we've seen here. Because Paul here, he says, um, I want you to think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, I think we see here Paul's pastoral tone coming through. Paul knows that not everyone is gonna see things the same way. But as a wise shepherd, he trusts that God will ultimately make these things known to them. And this is a good reminder to us as we're running and, and no doubt we're running in our churches and in our, in our Christian circles and we, we see one another and, and, it's, and, and what we need to remember is that not of all, all of us will progress at the same rate or in the same way. But through God's word and his providential unfolding of, of his will in each one of our lives, he will show us the way to glory. Nevertheless, each of us must hold fast to the truth, he says, which we have already attained. What, what is this truth? It's, it's kind of an ambiguous phrase. Only let us be conformed to what we already have. Some of the translations have here. What, what's going on here? Well, I think if we look at the bigger picture of Philippians, what has he been going after? What is the truth that all have already attained? Well, it is the truth of the gospel. As he says in chapter two, let us have this mind which is ours in Christ. Christ is the, the paradigm. He is the example, the gospel. He is calling him, hold it fast. Let it conform to your life. Let it be the shaping paradigm of who you are, which is actually the goal, right? That the gospel, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ would be worked in me. That's why he says this remarkable phrase in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of resurrection and share his sufferings. My friends, how do you share in resurrection power? You die. 
That's how you share it. And so he can rejoice. Hey, don't worry about me that I'm in prison. I'm sharing the sufferings of Christ. And if my body is poured out as a drink offering, let it be, die is gain. It's because the gospel shapes every facet of his life. It's the lens by which he views the world and the lens by which he judges himself. In other words, what we see is that the path to glory is the path of humiliation, then exaltation. It's going down, then up, just as Christ has shown in our lives. So we, as we run this race, my friends, we're shaped, aren't we? We're shaped more and more. We learn how to trust the gospel when the, the greatest tragedies happen in your life. Do I believe the resurrection? Do I believe the promises of Christ? Or, or when sin is breathing down your neck, how do, how do you combat it? I trust the promises of God over the lies of the evil one. I'm constantly, every battle, and as the writer of Hebrews says, let, let us uh, uh, disconnect every weight and entanglement of sin so that we can run this race. We're constantly doing that by faith. We deny ourselves. We lay down our lives for others in the name of Christ. We're like Epaphroditus who risked his life to complete what was lacking in their service. He risked his life on behalf of Christ. That's what he's doing. He's giving real life examples of, of people who've had the gospel shape them. Timothy, he's not like those self-serving preachers, but he's one who genuinely cares for you. Be like those men who have modeled what it looks like to embody the gospel and consider others as more important than themselves, even their very lives. How do we conquer the devil? How do we conquer the dragon? We love not our lives even unto death, right? That's how we conquer. Just as Christ conquered sin. His greatest moment of suffering was his greatest victory. And so it is for us. And all the more, Paul says, I'll gladly boast in my weaknesses because when I am weak, he is strong. His power is made perfect in my weakness. And so we run this race by faith, looking to Jesus. And how do we look to Jesus? Well, we see with our ears. As our shepherd calls out to us, and his sheep hear his voice. And we hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all and all. One of the greatest joys I had serving as a pastor, was being there with dear saints who are at the finish line. Those saints that are on their deathbed and if I was able to get there while they're still conscious, some of the most precious moments and teachable moments is even though I was the shepherd leading them and, and handing them off to the good shepherd, it was a great blessing for me sit there and stare into their eyes and often kneel down with them and hold their hand and, and look them in the eye and say, are, are you ready to see Jesus today? And oftentimes they couldn't speak, but they'd blink their eyes or squeeze my hand or nod their head and say, you fought the good fight. You finished the race. And laid up for you is the crown of righteousness which awaits all those who love Jesus. Well done good and faithful servant. May that be said of all of us. May it be said of us that we would run with endurance and finish the race holding fast to the hope of the gospel which is the anchor of our souls. 
What a beautiful picture the writer of Hebrews has. It's the, the gospel, the hope of the promised reward is the anchor of our souls. And so it's not only that Christ has blazed the trail through the valley of shadow of death. He didn't just leave breadcrumbs. He's, he's left a, an anchor and a rope by which we hold fast, but it's hell holding us fast and pulling us through. And by faith, we hold on to that rope. How do we hold on? How do we run? Well, we've seen it involves having a humble evaluation of ourselves. It comes with a confident motivation in what Christ has done, a singular aspiration and a faithful dedication to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Run the race, win the prize. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you that we can come to you boldly because of the work of what Christ has done. We know that you who've begun a good work are going to complete it in us and we thank you. And so we believe and we ask that you would continue to grow our faith and grow our love for you and our anticipation for you. Lord, as we sing and we have already sung, Lord, we, our confidence is not in us but it is in you who hold us fast. So Jesus, hold us and keep us to the end. And it is in your name we pray, amen.